Good afternoon, good evening, good metal. My name's Coop and welcome to the Spoken Metal Show. This episode is an interview special with Steve Jones, the guitar tech for the new blood stage of Bloodstock. I, I obviously always enjoy these interviews, but this one I think probably I laughed the most out of any that uh, I've ever done. Steve's incredibly open, incredibly honest, brutally so, uh, but with a real great sense of humour. We cover all kinds of topics. We cover the stuff that you would expect uh, us to cover, the things, the little pieces of advice that you need to listen to if you're playing on any stage, to be honest with you, but particularly if you're playing a new blood stage and if you're playing a bloodstock for the first time, some real gems and pearls of wisdom from Steve, but also a really interesting insight into how the whole operation works and why it works so well, so smooth and so professional. Um, Steve's a, a super, super great guy, and it's nice to give him the props. He's been doing that for like eight plus years, and is, as I say, an absolute wealth of, of knowledge and really some interesting things that he brings up and definitely worth listening to. I want to thank everybody that sent in audio clips as well for the previous show we did talking about Black Sabbath's Master of Reality. I'm going to lean into doing the audio clips a little bit more, I think. I thought they were really fun and really interesting, nice sort of feedback from the fans and listeners to the show. But for now, please uh, sit down and enjoy my interview with Steve Jones, the guitar tech for the New Blood stage at Bloodstock. Ladies and gentlemen, we welcome Steve Jones to the show. Welcome, sir. Hey, up, how are you? How are we doing? I'm all right. Well, we finally managed to get it. We were, we were, we've been flirting online quite a lot, right? talking about everything you? from uh, UNESCO and uh, and all that type of business. <laughs> <laughs> you've you've so, been like a dirty little secret away from the missus for like over it, like, a week yeah. now. Who are, you, who are you texting? Who are you messaging? Who are you messaging? Yeah, that's her. She's like, who, who's that? Who's, who is it? And it like a little French accent. Like she's like, who, who, who are you speaking to? Oh, it's just <laughs> some, some scouse bloke, love. Don't worry about it, dearies. <laughs> So, I mean, those that don't know, um, and I'll have done a, a little bit of an intro anyway, obviously, before this, Steve is the uh, guitar tech for Bloodstock. And I had read a, a small passage he wrote on social media about pre- preparing, if you were, as a young band or a young guitarist or new to that, that larger stage, think how to prepare for it. And it was from that that I realised that we, we definitely need to get Steve on the show because we've had Simon Hall on, we've had Squatter on, it made sense and to talk. And now we need a total dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. So, I mean, where, where do we where do you even start with this type of thing? We normally go. Let's 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 start at the very beginning. What do your first things do you remember hearing musically? I mean, was it even metal or was it? What was the first thing you were hearing? So, when I was a kid, the first things I started hearing musically. So, that sort of the first sort of. I know I'm going to get some shit over this. I am. <laughs> So uh, I can remember my mother having like sort of a record player in the living room, live, uh, like the dining room. The front room was a dining room. That was my mum's area. You didn't yeah. fucking go in there. Like it's not, it's not, it wasn't <laughs> a thing. You didn't go yeah. in there. Not unless you wanted your balls hanging to that and, and in tears. It's just not a thing. If she was in there, it meant she was in a shitter of a mood and she was listening to records. <laughs> but when, before I started school, like, so before I started like preschool, I'd be, in there with my mum in the daytime and she'd be like, we go shopping at local town. Um, if you only, if you only guessed, I'm from Stoke. So if you leave anything around me at Bloodstock, it will get nicked. Just warning you. <laughs> um, so she would listen to the likes of sort of Elton John and Kiki D and that sort of stuff. Right. Uh, and there was like bits of like that I could remember. And I can't remember what the Kiki D... Oh, man. Oh, I can't remember what it was. But it was, it was stuff like that. But as I was growing up, um, 
I started sort of hanging around in the shed and my garage with my dad and his friends with, that were bikers. And so one of the first things that was introduced to me within like sort of the metal realm, nobody, nobody ever has this from me, where I maiden. Right. So realistically, the first metal band to me that I listened to, or rock bands, was Iron Maiden. Now, you don't just go from Kiki D to Iron Maiden. <laughs> there's got to be a, a little step. There's got to be an interim somewhere. <laughs> so the interim, I suppose, at the time, in 1980-something, would have been Van Halen that my dad was listening to on the radio right. quite a lot. Yeah. Um, so I think they just released sort of 1984, and it really broke big 1984, didn't yeah. it? It was like really, really put them on the commercial map. Hmm. Um, so everybody was walking around whistling jump, yeah, uh, including my dad, um, who was like sort of be ready again, ready like sort of like around the sort of eight o'clock mark, singing along to jump. Um, so obviously, I suppose, I suppose the interim to that for me would have been. Van Halen. Yeah. It's interesting. I often think about 1984. Uh, it's, it's their breakthrough album. It's like super popular. And obviously Jump is the, the lead single. It's the big single. But it's not the best track on the album. By, by a damn sight, it's not. It's, it's that, That's Drop Dead Legs, by the way, just in case anybody was wondering closely. You're wrong by... there. It's Top Jimmy. <laughs> so, welcome to the Van Halen podcast. Um... <laughs> but what... But what's interesting is, can you imagine when they sat down with Warner and they were like, okay, we've got the new album, it's by, it's got the, currently the greatest guitarist on the planet playing on it. They're expecting riffs, McGinsey, and then Jump comes on and it's like, it's all keyboard. <laughs> and they must have been like, oh shit, where's this guitarist? What the fuck is what's going on? Do you know what I mean? It, might, it just interests me. I wonder what the what happened. And obviously they realised it was a massive single and that's great and all that, but there must have been a point where someone went, oh, fucking hell, he's decided this to This isn't do... what we signed up for. Yeah, he's decided to do keyboards. <laughs> he's shit the bed and decided to do keyboards. God rest his soul, like, you know. Um, so, yeah, it makes sense that you go from, like, if that introduces just sort of guitar-based stuff then, so you're used to, like, forms of distortion and that type of thing. And then, so why Iron Maiden? Was it something you've seen? Like a, a oh, video of my dad sort of no, my dad got into Iron Maiden. Um, he was a biker through mm. and through my dad. Um, not like the sort of patch club biker, but he was a biker, he had old British bikes and mm. all sorts of stuff. And it was like just in biking pubs at the time. So we were like, where you go with your mates, and it was it was it was just there. And it was what they were handing around each other at the time. So um it would be playing there in his work van or in the car when we were going places so that's sort of how i got introduced to that and that stuck with me for a long time if you asked me what my favorite band was for a long 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 time it would have been iron maiden it's it's and to be fair at that sort of time they were producing the stuff that was mm. to become classic sort of mid-era maiden yeah yeah i love that like some of our listeners are up from all over the world and there'll be some of our listeners from america who will think that when you say biker, you, you like you say you you're not talking about patch bikers. You're not talking about clubs and MCs no, and that's about a man that hangs around a shed with his yeah, rebuilding so greasy oily bikes. Yeah, after after the after the war and that type of thing, a lot of these kind of 
uh, things happened where these guys would just have, they wouldn't be part of a bikers club. They would just take their bike, their Triumph Bonville or whatever it may be, and they would take it to the shed and tinker away with that and go riding on the road. There'd be no aspects of clubs and that type of thing. And it's, uh, it was, it's totally different from that uh, biker club mentality. Like, there's, there's, there's no, there's no patches. There was no yeah. rivalries. You just had a few mates who were doing a similar sort of thing, sharing, the, sharing around a bell staff amongst yourselves. And, uh, <laughs> few beers and some coffee and, and yeah. possibly if you were really opulent a pizza. <laughs> <laughs> so when you when you listen to Maiden, you listen to your, to I am assuming it's your dad's collection as well, your dad's vinyl and that type of thing. He has that and that's it what was, you're it was up well to be fair, my dad my dad wasn't a he wasn't a vinyl guy, he was a tape guy because obviously mm. in the van there was an tape player. Oh, right, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. that's what got everything listened to via tape. And you'd like and still, yeah. still at the to be fair, still at the time a tape player that wasn't an eight track in a van. It was, it was that's still pretty. That's still a pretty big living like, van. Yeah, and the thing is though that especially I remember my old fella used to go around in a van and stuff with a tape player. I remember the same thing, and he'd only have like three tapes. He'd only have like two or three tapes. He wouldn't have the load of tapes in in the glove compartments. And that's the album you're listening to, like all day. Yeah, that's it. All day, to and from work, probably during work as well if you haven't got the radio on. And that's all you would listen to. Do you remember that's what right, that you, what album was that? The, the Iron Maiden one that was kind of relentlessly. The played. one that kind of first sort of introduced me to Maiden was Life After Death. Right, right. That was yeah. sort of seminal. Sort of, yeah, there you go. It was sort of the one I listened to, I suppose, most up until Power Slave, really. Hmm. Um, and then obviously somewhere in time and blah blah blah. And then sort of my tastes were sort of took a weird turn from there on in, but that's, I think that's, I could go into that for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours, <laughs> hours and hours and hours. Cause, cause life after death, that's like, that's a, a line in the sand, isn't it? That's like, this, this is all the stuff that we've done. It's yeah. Put, 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 put out there live the best it can be. Correct. And, and all it's especially now let's start the next phase almost if you want of our of, of iron maiden and then you know you that's get, it like, yeah. all, all, all the other albums and so but it was very much a line in the sand then so then you listened to maiden was there any inclinations then to to see this stuff live did your dad go to gigs did he take you um we went to gigs yeah uh, but generally they were generally at bike meetings so you go to like the Bulldog or you go to the Isle of Man and you, you catch whoever was on there. I remember like going to sort of Nottingham Rock City and seeing Maiden there. Yeah, that was a long time ago, mind. A very long time ago. So Great venue. Great venue. <laughs> um, trying to remember what year that was. You know what? I can't. Was a, you lot of, a, lot of the, a lot of the festivals that uh, exist in, in England are born. Bulldog's a good example of it. Donington's a good example of it. Are born from those meets where they have That's like, it, a, a yeah. group of guys meeting who have an interest in cars or bikes or whatever it may be. And they would go, okay, well, we need some entertainment. Okay, let's, let's get some bands. And they would start with like, you know, a lot of cover bands who would cover the top 10 or whatever it may be. And then it moved to being things like the Bulldog Bash, which is like, it's yeah, I see, I'm like sort of the bulldog bash and hmm. rock and blues and blah, blah. They all sort of stem from that sort of scene. Hmm. Uh, but like that sort of, I was getting more more and more fed to with the more and more I was going sort hmm. of there. Some of it sort of I liked. So I like sort of listen to early Aussie and it's like some of some of the early Aussie pre sort of Randy Rhodes era Aussie. But the the one thing I have and I'm going to get absolutely decimated for this is that I absolutely hate Ozzy Oswald's voice. I hate it. 
It's funny. I was having a conversation with someone the the other day, uh, and I was talking. I, I, I've done a special. Uh, the last show, in fact, was fifty years of uh, Master of Reality, Sabbath Master of Reality. Yeah. And I asked one of my friends who's a vocalist. I was like, "Do you want to leave a little audio clip of what you think of that album?" And he was like, "You know what? I love that album. I love the riffing. I love the everything about it. But I can't stand Ozzy's voice." <laughs> And he said, "He said I'd rather have someone sick in my eyes." I think is what he said. But he, uh, <laughs> but, but he, he was saying that like because it's not it's not considered classically a great voice. Like like so, let's say Dickinson for example. Now that's a classically great voice. You know, that's it. It's instantly recognisable, and it's it's always it's always intonated perfectly. Ozzy's voice is. It does sound like a wreckhead singing in the shower <laughs> with a peg on the nose. It's distinctive as all you can say, isn't it? It's you, you, 100%, you know it's Aussie. Um, you, know it's, you know it's Aussie, but in, in the same respect, like I say, you sort of got to be in that sort of... You've got to be sort of in that frame of mind for it, you know what I mean? You, you yeah. can't... I think the only... The only the only track I, I've sort of liked with his voice on was Crazy Train. Yeah, it's probably the most melodic. Yeah, yeah, you, it's, it's about as much as I can tolerate. You, you're not listening to to Sabbath or early Aussie for uh, his voice. Look, you're just not. I don't. I know there might it's be lots true. of Aussie fans. It's listening. absolutely you're true. You're not. You're listening to Sabbath mainly because of Iobian Butler and Wards. Correct. And, 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 <laughs> and, you're listening, and you're listening to early Aussie for Randy. Of course you are. Of course Correct you are. are. You know, and yeah. it just happens the the singer is Aussie. <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately, that's what happened there. So, so you created a great band and unfortunately ruined it. Well, you know, some would argue Sharon did as well. Like he didn't even do that. Oh, you know, you could, that you, woman. <laughs> you could argue. You could argue she was just very good at hired guns, wasn't she? She was just very good at picking the right people and 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 also sponsored by Wax Lyrical, apparently. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Throat zone or someone? Yeah, shit. That's fucking yeah, but you're not alone in that fact. You like you, you say, oh, I'm probably going to get battered for that. You're not. There's a lot of. I don't know any vocalist who's like my favorite vocalist of all time is Ozzy. No one's saying that. No, no one's saying that. And that's not to take okay. anything away from Ozzy. His way of singing fitted with Black Sabbath. You know, Bill Ward talks about his ability to be able to sing over nothing or great periods of space and create weird sort of imagery, and he could do that. You know, and he, and it works. Crazy Train would be weird. If 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 someone other than Ozzy sang it because it's so ingrained to how it should be, now, it's, you know? I, I think you're probably right. Actually, I have heard a couple of covers of it, and I can't listen to the covers of it. Yeah, it's so it's so. There, there are some things that bands. Me. There are some things that bands and artists so and others that like they may have written that other bands and artists. Sewed. I think a great example of that is if you listen to War Pigs by Black Sabbath, and then listen to it by Faith No More. I'm more yeah. drawn to the Faith No More version. It's yeah. more stabbing and melodic, and br- it, ultimately, it just feels more aggressive. Yeah, it's like a, it's like uh, Randy's version of "Children of the Grave" is my preferred version of that. You're not taken away from the original. The original is classic, and it's it's amazing. But what an Iron Man, and what what Randy does with it though really just pushes the whole thing. It just opens it up to this even bigger sort of song. You know, this, it's it's totally my preferred version. You know, so you're listening to the. To this time, you kind of find what you like and what you don't like. When did you did you find a band that was all your own that you discovered, or was it still stuff that your your old boy was listening Napalm to? Napalm Death. Oh, fantastic! Yes, 
Okay, so how did we how did we stumble onto Napalm Death and Barney and the lads? Kids TV. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it comes up a lot this because the other one that comes up is Motorhead on the young ones as being Oh god, Motorhead on the young ones. On the young well, ones, yeah. That, yeah, was, that was, awesome, was mine. Utter, that was mine. Utterly brilliant. Yeah, 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 I suppose, I suppose really, like, it's already been sort of trickle-fed down through, like, sort of the scene it was in. But I suppose it, it was also my own... My own on account of, hang on a minute, they're on TV, they're a good... They're, they're probably the natural progression from where Iron Maiden are now. They are British... And British metal band. Yeah. Um, at the time, I think Guns N' Roses had just broke and so on and so forth when I'd found them. And I was like, eh, that doesn't... I don't really relate with that. That's not what I relate to. Because I, I was never sort of into um, the glam sort of stuff. I was never, like, into Rat or anything like that. Right. It never... It's never... It was never resonated with me yeah yeah um i just find it a bit whiny it's well, it's, 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 it's difficult to relate to it sometimes isn't it it's like you know there's yeah. something about like where the west coast and beaches and shit and it's like that's not really what my that's california girls yeah i'm down the local town and see the <laughs> they've got their own moon the match <laughs> And so, like, you know, when, when I, I can totally appreciate listening to Napalm Death, who were, were very much, you know, as the kids would say, keeping it real. Stoke, like, you know what yeah. I mean? It was, it was, they, they, they were there, they were on my doorstep, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was, it was, it just seemed like the, the right way to go. And mm. it sort of carried on like that. So, obviously, finding Carcass and various other bands like Alt mm. Thrower and blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, Grunge It. Mm. Now, I'd found Led Zeppelin. I was listening to Led Zeppelin, Apple, and bits of Deep Purple, although I thought I thought they were a bit noncy, uh, but some of it was good, and the bits like that. Mm. Um, and then all of a sudden, Grunge It, and I was at the start of my teens. Okay. And that's where really my interest in guitar started. Right. At that point. Okay, is that because is that because it, it was accessible? Exactly, yeah, Very it was accessible. accessible. Yeah, because you're going from listening to say like you know, you know, triple guitar solos of Iron Maiden and, and insane stuff by Eddie Van Halen and all this this like sort of West Coast and US sort of slash playing extended solos over Paradise City and that oh, oh, and that oh, seems oh, yeah oh, that oh, seems oh. unattainable at first because it, it's so it's so complex and there's a lot going on. Then, you know, you go to grunge and it's like, it's almost like punk was, it's like three chords of the truth. It's very simplified riffs. It's very simplified. Well, what it seems to be is 70s heavy rock recycled for another generation. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. So you'd get some of it that was a bit tripped out. So mm. some of it would be like sort of late 60s. So you'd get like sort of a bit blue cheerish, maybe a bit small faces-ish, yeah. a bit psychedelic. So you'd have like sort of... Um, Screaming Trees and stuff like that was a bit that way out. And then you get the more aggressive, stabby ones like Alice in Chains and Soundgarden and the Melvins. And and in between it all, I was really happy at that point, especially because, obviously, during that time, drugs were plentiful and cheap. Excellent. Um, um, And it was just a good time because we'd we'd still got sort of, 
that sort of band mm. that I was listening to before. Mm. But now entering into the mix was something that was inspiring me to actually pick up mm. instruments myself and start messing with them. Yeah. And my first sort of messing about with them was in, I could started playing the drums and then I realised maybe the drums weren't. Why the drums? Why, why was the drums the starting point? Um, big and noisy. <laughs> okay, I understand, sir. It's a bit like me, big and noisy, I suppose. Um, but my mate, we sort of formed a jam band Okay. between me and my mates, and I started getting more and more to what my mate was doing with his guitar. Yeah. So he was teaching me the riffs that I was listening to, and I was like, you know what? Quite like this. And then the more I got into that, the more I started listening to sort of more guitar-based music again. So I started searching, right, sort of backtracking over what I'd missed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have and that I kind of appreciation think, for the stuff now. You go yeah, back see, and yeah, it, and yeah. it's actually really good. Yeah, yeah, and I started. Yeah, it's, it's sort of all all spun out from there. So obviously, yeah. I started picking up on thrash and all sorts from that. Yeah. Um, all the virtuosos at the time seem to be mm. within thrash bands. Yeah. Because people talk about like grunge killing hair metal, and uh, effectively, <laughs> effectively, it, it did. It did some damage commercially. To yes. But what happened? What What was What was fantastic was that all it did was take the gloves off again. Like I, as I say, punk did at one point. It took the gloves off again, where you could write. Uh, aggressive stuff and still you know be simple you could write you know interesting stuff and it could be open in terms of like what style it was you could you find the 90s the 90s were this wonderful sort of collection of stuff meeting up and people that you know will look on wikipedia about the 90s and the grunge era will think that it was all depressive because of the music that came from that it wasn't it was a fabulous time where, it was you know, an absolutely wonderful time. We 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 were just just uh, you know discovering piracy with music, and you could listen to an a, an album without having to pay for it and stuff like that. And these were things where, where, where the shackles were off. It was the beginning of the internet. It was the beginning of you know being able to play whatever you wanted, really, in, in whatever format. And there was so much going on that that's why I think it spawned all this different genres. You know, different kind of things yeah, spun out, like like new metal and that type of thing. Because everybody was like, you know what? Fuck it. The gloves are off. We can do whatever the fuck we whatever want. Whatever we want. Yeah, I was glorious. Some of the some of the bands that maybe were didn't get the recognition they deserved then are now starting to be seen as being classic bands now. They're well, big effectively becoming classic rock, if you will now. Um like Soundgarden and stuff like that are now being seen as classic rock and Metallica. But we, I can't, I can't imagine that phrase like... being used, you know what I mean? I, yeah, it's I, crazy. I it? particularly classic myself when I was around. <laughs> <laughs> so did you start going to like shows, like ticketed shows, like for uh, assigned acts and type of things? When did that start to happen? Yeah, oh, that started to happen to, sort of when I left school, really, as got mm. my first job. So when I wanted to start could literally pay my way into them was the moment I started going. And that sort of, I suppose, like, the urgency to do it more when I got older was was more and more up until the point I had my little in. And obviously, at which point, your life is pretty much over. You need to buy an estate car, a Labrador, and uh, <laughs> start wearing brown and grey clothes. Um 
but um, yeah, it's, it's it was it was sort of up and like the I suppose nineteen ninety three mm. onwards was the point at which I was like sort of going ticketed shows like a lot, like yeah. a lot. Yeah. Um, any anyone that was sort of within hitting range within a train or driving range within an evening, I'd be there. Yeah. Because um, I'll be honest. Tickets to like big name gigs, then they weren't loads of money. The disproportionate. Now you see, there's a thing at the minute that like, whoa, fucking 130, 140 pounds to see, blah 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 blah. blah. Well, I get it. Hmm. I get it. There's a lot goes into it, but in the same respect, it's disproportionate to what the sort of inflation that's been applied to from when I was going the show. So I've got mm. up just above me somewhere, or maybe it's fell off the wall. That is an absolute possibility. <laughs> uh, a ticket to a Pearl Jam gig in the year 2000, at roughly the point that Pearl Jam became horribly commercial. Yeah. And I think it was something like £13 at the MEN. Yeah. Now, we're 21 years in. If you want to go see Pearl Jam at the MEN now, you're probably looking at about 130, 140 at least, quid. At least. At least. Yeah. Now, that's a disproportionate rise. Mm. And I don't think air travel has increased in price <laughs> up until this last two years. I don't think crew period. are getting paid anymore either. I'll tell you that for nothing. Um, oh, no, crew <laughs> don't get paid. <laughs> um, Do you know what I think it could be, though? I think it could be a different factor we haven't maybe considered here. It's not so much the inflation and the price of living and that type of malarkey. I think it could be, uh, it's the appearance, it's the uh, you know, the front of it. So what I mean by like that is that now some people will do shows and the price of the ticket is the estimation of the quality. You see what I'm saying? So people go, well, I disagree we're entirely. Okay. Because okay. I paid Good. 50 pounds. I paid yeah. 50 pounds to see mm-hmm. King Crimson. Okay. Liverpool three years ago. Right. And if you can find me a better show for 50 quid, <laughs> I will eat my shoes. I will counter your argument, sir. And I will simply say this, the King Crimson's next tour, they're offering fans the chance to sell pl- uh, programmes uh, to, the, to the, the public for uh, a, some signed or, or uh, exclusive merch. And, and I've always, I've never liked that uh, be a roadie for a day thing. I, I, I oh, think that's uh, a street crew. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, 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 no. I don't mind street crew. There's a there's a slight difference, but that kind of roadie for a day type of thing, I uh, that doesn't wash with me at all. Like you know, will you be endless and fifty quid for Kim Crimson? Oh come yeah, on, I'll Robert Fripp can do it. He's nine hundred year old. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell, he's got to pay for that. Uh, that well, he that manages to do toy by all accounts. Any man. Oh, God. That started as funny when I first saw that. Oh, it's a bit, and, it's a bit, it's a bit cringy now. It's isn't very it? cringy now. It's, like a bit it's, like what, it's a bit like watching a car crash happen, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's like the worst swingers party you've ever got invited to. <laughs> and yeah, you turn up and she's got, like, mad makeup on. He's got, like, fucking makeup on too and a guitar. They've got some guy in a, in a mask as well. You're like, oh, fucking hell. This Who's wasn't the, the guy party. in the mask? I know. Who's the guy in the mask and what's his, what's his role in it? So, oh, Robert, God. Have you noticed Robert, 
Who Rob sat there having a right twitch on? Like, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh God! There's a guy in the mask, the mask behind Toya, looking at Toya's side boob, like you we're, know what I mean? We're all being, we're all being, we're all being cooked here. The minute that fucking tape stops rolling, they're all at it. They're fucking all at it. That's that. We're all. We're, <laughs> we're all part of it. We're all privy to it. It's outrageous. Um, <laughs> Oh, fucking hell. Um, yeah, Sal, I'm going to try and keep some. <laughs> Been saying some more than you. So, where the <laughs> fuck do we go? <laughs> um, God, the next show's with Robert Fripp as well. No, I'm joking. <laughs> well, um, if, if he does, can I have a go at Toy? Amazing, amazing. If anybody hasn't seen it, they do need to check out that uh, the, the YouTube videos that they do on Sunday. They are quite something. They are quite something. Uh, certainly more exper- experimental than King Crimson everywhere. Um, no, I, would, I would go, yeah, I would say that <laughs> as well. <laughs> so you're playing guitar. When yes, you, and, you, and you're jamming away, and you're playing with mm-hmm. your mates. When yeah. does a, a full band kind of come into the picture, playing with, with a whole group of musicians? Right, what happened first, before that ever happened, was I hit a proverbial wall in my guitar play. Okay. So that never really happened until later on. So what I went, as I went for classical guitar lessons. Okay. Because what I wanted to be was Eddie Van Halen. Of course you do. I still do. I I still want to be Eddie Van Halen. You know what? I can't play anything like him. By Mm. way of comparison, I'm just shit. (laughs) Um, So I went for guitar lessons, and I actually went through the Royal Northern College of Music for doing sort of exams. Now I, I did all right out of it, believe it or not. You wouldn't you wouldn't think it these days to listen to me. It sounds sounds like the cat's got ultimate guitars these days. <laughs> um but it was a good learning curve because I could see where I was going wrong, but it also made me sort of look at where I could go with the music I was sort of wanted to do, mm. which was good. He also introduced his sort of influence into me, which was weird because I never really saw Mark Knopfler as being within my remit. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it turns out he probably maybe was. Mm. Um, and then after that, it wasn't after that. It was in the, it was a guy called John Heath anyway. If you're in Stoke, look him up. He's an absolutely phenomenal guitarist and a brilliant teacher. Um he said to me, you, you need to join a band. Hmm. I was like, mm, oh, oh, okay. Yeah. So accidentally, one day, a man came to fix the phone from BT. And he ended up in a band with him. <laughs> for it was a Def Leppard covers band. Fuck my life. <laughs> um, yes. So that's sort of where it all started. And then after that, I was in various other Whoa, bands. whoa, whoa. The, the fuck I'm letting you get away with that, Steve. Oh, fuck Fucking off. hell. <laughs> Go on. Go on. <laughs> A Def Leppard cover band. So was that his idea? Was he the Def Leppard fan? Or was yes. So- okay, so it he's- wasn't me. <laughs> so how's he- It really wasn't me. How's he sell that to you? Because you're listening to like, I'm Nate looking for a guitarist named Steve, and all guitarists are called Steve. <laughs> True and story. It. And that's, that's it. it. 
Oh, so you have to go. Uh, you have to go and listen to Def Leppard now. So you're listening to Hysteria, trying to pick the guitar parts off that. Oh so that's out there, yeah. Listening to Hysteria, it's <laughs> out there. The advent of the internet, downloading fucking tabs from whatever tab site it was at the time, with one eye twitching because it's all I've got to listen to for hours and hours on end, whilst I actually fucking hate listening to them anyway. Did you do? Then did going, you do gigs? Oh, Jack. God, yeah, yeah. Well, oh, shit. Well, what happened? Right, you remember Yates' Wine Lodges? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hmm. Well, they used to have live music for Sunday night, didn't they? Hmm. Well, those bands were contracted. Okay. So they'd do the Yates' Wine Lodges. Yeah, all, around the, all around the country. Yeah. All around the country. We were one of them. We shit. were the Def Leppard experience. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> <And> Ace. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. I mean, you must, uh, here's the thing, though. Uh, all joking aside for a moment, you hit upon something that's a very important factor, I believe, in improving as a musician. So you can play in your room all the live long day. You can be a bedroom guitarist all the live Mrs. long day. is listening. <laughs> the, the, leap, the leap to becoming a, a fully rounded guitar player is playing with other musicians. Because there's an enormous amount that you learn about, like, it's not, true, yeah. not almost about not playing and when to play and the intricacies of rhythm, playing with the drummer and the bassist, and how and the push and the pull of being behind I am the beat. Ten times the guitarist within a band than yeah. I am when I'm at home. When I'm yeah. at home, I struggle to string a coherent anything together. <laughs> yeah, you put me, you put me in a band scenario, and I'm a complete fucking animal. Exactly, exactly. I'm, I'm a different beast altogether. Yeah. It just exercises a different muscle. It just, it, it, it's a whole different way of thinking. Um, it's a whole different set of preparation, you know, to, to do that. You know, especially if you, and you've been a gigging guitar player that's playing sometimes a couple of nights in a row. Everything from setting up and packing down and all that type of stuff and putting together, you know, working under lights. I remember one of the first shows I did and I wrote the set list in fucking red pen. And then the fucking house lights come on and the fucking list disappeared. It's little things that you're like, you didn't even perceive and the heat, how it affects the tuning and all these many, yeah, that's many, it. many, many, many things. That Slippy you, you fingers, of, dropping yeah. plex, breaking plex used to be a thing at one time before plex yeah. were really good and made of nylon and short. Yeah. You know, those days where you, all you could get was like Gibson plex or like sort of, they, they were just big plex where that's all you could get at one time. Yeah. yeah. And they'd flap around like a fucking oar on your strings. I <laughs> <laughs> like things and like it, your amps, the amount of times I'd blown an amp because I'd have to leave it on, stand by, and then you'd go to do well, the show, you'd, of, you'd forget to switch it off at the interval. And then you'd, one you'd of, play one two, of three hours. criteria was the amplifier I needed to use needed to be in stereo. Right. So it needed to reproduce a stereo output. Mm. Now, the only amplifier I had at the time that would do that was a Marshall AVT mm. 100. Yeah. That was the only one that would do it at the time. Now, that was a hybrid amp, and it was one of the first of the hybrid amps as well. Mm. Um, so when you left it on standby, it wasn't really an issue with that mm. because obviously the, the power side of it was transistor, but the, 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 the preamp side was and single tube. Yeah. Um, I fucking hated that amp. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't the amp that I wanted, but it was the amp that I happened to have. To have like, um, but it wasn't 
so much of an issue that side of it. Cue like some years later, and I've got that thing sat there, that Randall. You you sort of you know when you go to valves, things are getting yeah. You need to be a bit more attentive to your equipment. Yeah, it just everything becomes a factor. It's like the temperature it, is. Yeah. It, uh, I'll just put this pint on top of what. No. Yeah, all events. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and just like to go, I remember like moving to to valve amplification live, and it just fucking changed the game. I remember like having a. Uh, I've got a like a couple of marshals, and I remember having a, 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 a an eighty and. I remember only getting up to about two or three, and the place was fucking moving. It was just completely different from the, the, move, the yeah, champ and that type of thing. So when, yeah. when you do a mute with a valve amp, mm. it still shifts. It still like provides yeah. a proper bump. Yeah. Whereas you do it with something that's transistory or digital, there's nothing there. It's just mm. not. There doesn't have that same. Yeah, it doesn't feel the same. It doesn't respond the same way. Yeah, well, it's all the, the whole nature of of amplification, uh, certainly with rock and metal, is that it's pushed to its absolute breaking point. Limits. Yeah, yeah. Amps are better when they're running, as they call it, hot. When they're like absolutely Correct. at the peak of what what they're doing. You know, uh, the trouble with that is if you're doing it every you night, don't, tubes don't last long. Exactly. Yeah. There's a guy. There's that guy whose sole job for ACDC when they go on tour doesn't even fucking. He's not on the stage or anywhere near it. All he does is fix heads twenty four seven. He's just like, what's the next head? Just fucking relentlessly doing it. You know, it's just that's his whole life. Doesn't even watch the band outside the stage or anything. He's just in a fucking room somewhere, just endlessly fucking repairing valve amplifiers. It's right. Insanity. Yeah, that's it. Insanity. So you go from this uh, the Death Leopard experience. What's the next? What's the next band? Yeah, the next one's a grunge one, and I was in a few okay. grunge bands after that. Okay, um, which sort of they suit me, you know what mm. I mean? That's sort of what I know best. Um, was it covers still, or were you doing your own? There was a couple or? of covers, but most of it was original stuff. So there was like sort of um, like one of my biggest influences now, like even as I've got older, is is still Jerry. So yeah. I can take I can take Jerry off to a tea with my plane. Absolutely wow. take him off. And, and and the same way that sort of um you, you can hear like sort of is it? Oh god. Nuno Nuno Betancourt take EVH off. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. I, I sort of understand Jerry's feel behind stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well the thing about so like he, Jerry Cantrell, when when he came along, he was for me, he's perfectly sat in between grunge and metal metal i was like yeah. I, I i totally he sat right in there because it dime bag was doing it all the way metal and yeah. so what someone like kim in in Soundgarden was doing it all Heavy the rock. grunge yeah, yeah. And, but he kind of sat in the middle and it was only like you know their breakthrough for me is like man in a box because i was like well done that's really heavy really heavy but it's got like these kind of weird choices for me Cantrell's like gift to the world was his bending he's got the yeah the wonderful he's got a little warble no matter what he's doing he never like, holds his chords or his notes still there's he's a wonderful there's him. a wonderful song called uh, what the hell have i and um that's got a fantastic little bit of bending and so nuanced in it how it works it's his own voice and and i remember hearing a lot of his stuff and thinking that's got a swagger. It's got a real vibe and a real richness to what he's doing, you know. And then later on, when it, you know, when he did like degradation trip and stuff like that, and he, and he just let 
the clubs fly off and do what he wanted. He really, I, I, definitely underrated. I still think he's very much underrated um, as a player. I don't he's think he was root of a guitarist. Oh, it's same guitar player. He had that like that wonderful G and L guitar, didn't he? Got um, this one here. Oh, there he is. There's the leader. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But that's what one of the one of the joys about playing is being able to get, or at least in the same room as the as the style of of what you're listening to. You know, there's always that moment where you play something and it sounds like your hero. You know, um, and that's always that's probably the next level after you play to play with musicians playing something and it sounds like what you want it to sound like or like what your hero sounds that's like. It's it, a yeah. real big bonus because that gives you fire then because you're like, well done. If I can sound like this person. I must be getting better or it must be okay. It must be like a, a seal of approval. I certainly had it with me where your first time I started to play, for me, it was like Satriani and Vi. And yeah. when, when I started to play stuff and it sounded very similar, or at least to me, it sounded similar. I was like, okay, I'm learning now. I'm, I'm moving forward from the pentatonic bluesy type of stuff I was learning originally. I'm moving forward. Did you definitely feel as though you were improving that when you were in the grunge band as a player? Uh, I was it was more focused around me which I'm happy with so <laughs> I'm um, yeah I, I did because I was I was writing stuff I was allowed to put music to stuff you know what I mean it was mm. it, it was they, they, they were very much they were they were a big learning curve there, there was there was me basically on guitar Right. So it was all down to me. The fuck ups and everything were all down yeah. to me. Yeah, timing issues, me. Fuck ups, <laughs> me. Writing <laughs> nuances, me. Bad solos, also me. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I did. It did, did bring my plane on because I was allowed to experiment more, which is sort of where I wanted my plane to go. Because the guy that taught me, going back to Johnny, the guy that taught me, hmm. spent the last fifteen twenty minutes of every lesson I had jamming with me that's interesting so you say that like because i my second guitar teacher had a couple of guitar teachers he got me onto spanish guitar he made me learn fernando de Sors playing and stuff like that and because i took him d by by randy and stuff and he and he but he would do that he would do at the end of the the, the, the i was always his last student because all the other students wanted to learn yeah that was his last Dude. The normal pieces of you, and I was the rock and metal guy, and I was always like obsessed with like, oh, show me how to play Eddie Van Halen's things, and what's tapping, and what's harmonics, and that. Thing. But at the end, yeah. for like 10, 15 minutes, um, we would just jam, and we would end up run overrunning because we both were just yeah, enjoying that's exactly it. what we would do. Yeah, I we learned so had, much, so much we, jamming. That's it. We once had one guy um, walk up the stairs to the studio where. Because it was, it was actually above a piano shop called Piano Forte, which is gone now. But they were primarily known for doing sort of piano lessons, but they did have other lessons that took place. And it was on a Tuesday night, my lessons were. Mm. Um, I was the last one in at mm. nine o'clock. Yeah. Um, and they would forever run over, as you said. But there was this, I always, I'll never forget it as long as I live. At the time, I had a, a Jackson Dinky EX. Oh, yeah. Uh, phenomenal guitar. Just a yeah. brilliant, brilliant guitar. Mm. Um, and we were jamming and we were hitting out some like sort of rocky bluesy bits and what have you. So it was like noodling over the top of what he was doing and then we'd swap roles. And but and there was a guy that sort of knocked on the door and he'd just come in through the studio. And he didn't let him in. He said, that sounded brilliant from downstairs. And I was like, 
John Lehman, like, like, I just sort of, it was at that point I realised maybe I was probably better than what. Yeah. Yeah. Got that validation from somewhere else. Validation. That's the word. That's the that it do it's like when it's that first round of applause. I often talk about on the show from people who've played in front of a live audience. That first sort of applause that you get when the music stops and people applaud, or you see a reaction from the crowd, is is a big turning point. You know, it becomes a massive fire that lights underneath you. Sometimes it could be a fire that consumes you because your ego goes crazy, but for the most part, it's a real push to get better push to become a do better go you know what i I can i can do something with this so yeah i could totally i I had exactly the same experience where i learned to improvise which a lot of guitarists bedroom guitarists don't learn as much i I feel that you know the ability to someone to go okay well just take the solo now and it's a solo to a song you haven't heard before but you can still play because you understand how how the chords and and how things work and, and, and what key are songs in you know i learned to have very quickly, I had pretty good ears and learned to really get be able to go. Okay, that's in this, that's in this. I can use these scales. I, I learned very quickly, and it just saved so much time when it came to play with with other musicians. So, did how how soon before you started to get into the technical side of things? And I mean that by that by like sort of the guitars and the amps and that type of thing. Because how far are you away from you guitar tech and, and that type of thing? How far are we? Um, I'm repairing my own guitars. Well okay. before that point, while I'm having lessons. Um, okay. by tra- by, right. So by trade, I'm an engineer anyway. Hmm. Um, so I was already within an engineering apprenticeship. My dad was an engineer, hmm. obviously in rebuilding bikes. There isn't much that I couldn't figure yeah. out. Yeah. Um, so I'd started repairing my own stuff at that point. And then there was like people in the bands that were, I was playing with going, can you have a look at this? Can you have a look at this? And it sort of went from there. So I was repairing bits for friends, you know what I mean? Bits for other bands. At that point, it was like, it, it's fine. I'm, I'm happy sort of doing it because yeah. I'm one, I am unfortunately one of those people that over, overburns myself with other people's shit. Yeah. Um, it's something that's quite easy to exploit in me. Um, hmm. I don't. I don't really say no too much. Hmm. Um, I I do it because I like it, but I do overburden myself. Hmm. Um, but it was, it's like so. When would I been? So I suppose like sort of ninety five, ninety six. I started doing bits like that. Hmm. Uh, but that's sort of the. It was. It was learning myself. Hmm. Where I was where I was. I, I, I literally learned myself. So anything I didn't know, I would look up. Yeah. So you could, like, at the time, it would be, like, just the advent of the internet or what they didn't have on there. It would be... So obviously YouTube wasn't a thing then, mm-hmm. and definitely, like, sort of Pornhub wasn't. And not that yeah. Pornhub's any good for repairing guitars. But, it, uh, but it is good for hiding <laughs> in your room while you're pretending to put, repair guitars when the wife's in the house. Um, so um, it'd be, like, the local library, and you'd get, like, boot obviously like bits of information from there. Um, but the electronic side was more the side I'm, I lean to. Right. Um, because I deal with a lot more of that at work. Mm. So I actually became a bit of a whiz with that side. Right. Um, because it, because guitarists or, or people, your guitar luthers, if you will, 
uh, the guitar's a wonderful instrument in so much as the there's quite a few disciplines you have to learn to properly properly look after a guitar. There's people I know who only look after certain aspects of a guitar. But, but when you think about it, there's like electronics, there's woodworking, there's metalwork. There's a lot of there bits is. and pieces that kind of all fall under the same remit of a, of a guitar. I know plenty of techs out there that don't know how to do other things with a guitar, you know, don't know certain things, can set one up but maybe can't do uh, rewiring um, or a shielding or something like that, can't do yeah. that. And it's weird that, you know, I'm the same way. I, I basically bought quite a few pieces of shit guitars from... Dogs. Like, yeah. And my, my, in my mind, I was like, well, if I fuck it up, I could, it doesn't matter. And I would, like, you know, learn how, how it worked, learn how five pit selectors worked, learn how this worked, and, like I say, shielding and, and, and reconfiguring wiring and, and all that type of thing. And I just... I made a ton of mistakes, but I learned on these pieces of shit. And in my mind, I was like, okay, make this piece of shit sound at least like a passable guitar. And if I could do it with that, when I get a, a good guitar, I should, you know, I, I, I should be pretty good, good to go. Like, you know, and, and I think that doing that is an incredibly great way of learning. And, and we'll talk about being a guitar tech very shortly, but one of the things I would suggest for anybody wanting to learn how to repair and tech for, for, for instruments is to start with pieces of shit that you can pay for fucking nothing. That someone's fuck a project guitar, someone's fucked up or whatever, or go to cash converters and buy one for. Don't worry about it. What it is, you're just gonna use it to like do a refret on it. Learn how to do that. Learn how to do the the, 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 the problem with buying anything from problem with buying anything from cash converters though is the police will likely turn up at your house shortly after, aren't they? <laughs> there'll be a load of our, there'll be a load of our friends from America who are like, what the fuck is cash converters? <laughs> It's essentially a pawn shop, if you will. Um, yeah, but, but, but yeah, yeah. The, the fences, yeah. the fences, stolen musical instruments. <laughs> that's, that, so you're learning to do this now, and any and everybody and everybody's caught up to you going, okay, uh, I need my trust rod setting on this, and, and my amp's not showing on this, the power's not working. You you were getting all this type of stuff, and and you must have been learning a fairly accelerated rate then. You're getting all this work. There is, the, the, unfortunately, necessity is definitely the most like, sort of. Like, it is you do because you need to do it. You, you find out. Yeah, you do find out. Um, so it was the mother of invention for me. So, but like I say, within my career, anyway, mm. I was, I was that way out. So I was always, yeah, even as like sort of. A, I suppose as a kid, I would, I would be taking things apart anyway. Yeah, yeah. And like I said, I'd spend hours in my dad's garage with him, doing work with him and blah, blah. So it, it wasn't like an unusual thing for me to do, to just rip into something and end up with a load of shit and wires and all sorts around me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it, it's, it's, it's my career. I, I will absolutely be clear about this. My career, my day job, has helped me to understand better the the ins and outs of what a guitar does. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of cross pollinization. There's a lot of stuff that gets covered. You know, I I now know how to wire the lights in my house because I previously wired up two sets of pickups and so you just there's things that you learn that are universal that cover a lot of stuff. You know, and like you say, your dad working on a bike isn't a million miles from you working on a guitar. You still, you know, there's still fundamental thinking and thought process that it goes through when you're rebuilding or when you're repairing something. I think, I think, I think there is the case that you are also that way out. Yeah. You know what I mean? You, you are either going to mess with it yeah. or you make it somebody else's problem. 
Yeah, you are one of you are one or the other. There is there is not the person. That's it's a mindset, me. most definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I I, I tell a story to to uh, uh, to about a couple of times so when I went to see my alfalo when I was a kid, uh, uh, and I was going to the house and I went in and I went and said to my mum, I said, Where's 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 my dad? Like he's he's up on the roof. I was like, what? He's, like, he's up on the roof, doing what? And I was like, he's like repairing the roof, and and I was like, he's not a roofer. And she goes, oh, you know, just whatever. So I come out and there's a long ladder all the way up. So I go up the long ladder up the top, and he's sitting either side of the eaves, like repairing the roof with a fucking book. So he's got a book there, he's reading the book. <laughs> and that's and I remember at that, at that point, it was in my head, it switched where it was like, I can never say I can't do anything ever again. Because this guy can't do this. He's just gone to the library in a very British way, gone to the library, gone books yeah. on roofs. There you go. I'll take gone up with the book. Still don't know what he's fucking doing. And just read the book. Oh, so I do this. Okay. And and that's a mentality, you, you know, that some have and some don't have. It's as simple as I that. I think it is also, I think it is also inherently a very British thing to do. Yeah. As yeah. you've pointed out, go to the library and find out. Ah, oh, fuck it. I'm not paying somebody else to do this. I'll do it. <laughs> yeah, <percent."> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so you do it, you're doing all these repairs. Did that now then become almost all encompassing? You were doing the tacking rather than the band, or was it still something that ran alongside each other? My, right. My, my interest primarily is the guitar now, mm. and it stemmed from that. So the guitar and the amplifier and yeah. how it sounds is all now the most important thing to me in the world over the music. Yeah. It's how it all sounds to me now. At that point, yeah. and now, is the point at which everything changed for me. Okay. So... The music is still important, mm-hmm. and I'm still finding more music to train my own ear on. Mm-hmm. But I also realise at that point that the most encompassing part of what I'm playing is that the guitar amplifier and the signal chain in between it all are one instrument. Yes. Yeah, to I get them sounding... Completely agree, yeah. It's and to get them sounding as good as possible is my then mission for the next twenty-five years. <laughs> but that's that's the that's the that's the game is to see everything interconnected from the wires that link up and the you know uh, the amplifiers, the guitars to everything around the whole chain, if you will. The whole thing uh, is all intrinsically linked, and and every tech I've ever met who's a, who's a guitar tech anyway is can block out everything else. It's not about the lights; it's a, it's about getting that to be the absolute optimum it can be for the person playing. So the whole thing is, is just pick up play and it sounds exactly the way it should be. You know, I've been fortunate enough to play some famous people's rigs and yeah. I never, I never sound like, like them obviously because I'm not them. But the biggest Correct. thing is because their guitar tech is intrinsically in tuned to what they want that chain and that setup and that rig to sound like. It's absolutely the work that the unsung work of a guitar tech is 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 a, is almost a crime. We never hear about it, and there's so many great like for every great guitar player, there is a great tech right behind them helping get that done. You know, you think about like someone like Thomas Nordig for Steve Vai has been with him many many years, and That's Steve it, yeah. Steve can't do some you know a great guitar player, but there's some stuff he just he can't do on the guitar. He can't fix his guitar that way. He that's what Thomas would do. You know, Eddie Van Halen, as great as he was, was still had a great guitar tech, a number of great guitar techs. And, you know, 
every great guitar player is 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 also blessed with a great guitar tech. The two are it's, it's it's this like co-pilot flying mission that you go on when you go on in a show where you're unseen and you've got the Bombay doors and he's up at the front looking out for when when you're gonna hit the target and you've got to work in unison to the point where the guitarists that I've worked with it can be sometimes the slightest of looks and I know what they mean. It's like, I know what that means. I know what that means. I know what that, and you just, the slightest of nods. It's not someone shouting, this needs to be this or that. It could be, you get it down to being an absolute science. You look at like Heffield and how he'll, the, the things that he'll do with his tech and you'll be, oh, it's the slight, you may even not even notice it. And it's the slight nods to make sure that everything's working. It's such a wonderful beautiful thing in many ways you know um so you 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 were teching did you start to work with bands solely and tech solely if you know what i mean not really that didn't that, that's i'll be honest i've sort of stayed clear of that way because i have a job yeah um i've, I've always done it as like sort of favors for anybody that's sort of called on me mm. but it's not something i want to promote and full-time profession yeah, yeah. Um, if I'm coming in from where I, I'm right by trade, my, my trade is quite. A, it, unfortunately, my, well, my job has always been dominating over my life. Sure. Um, so my, my day job, I can I can work countless amounts of hours. There've been times where I've, I've worked sort of over twenty four hours in one yeah. one it. Um, I couldn't guarantee I would be in any one place, so which is why I sort of stay clear of that side of it. When I've been asked to, then I'd say, well, I might be free, blah, 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 or I can have a look and give you pointers and blah. And that's the sort of basis that I've worked on. Mm. Um, but I wouldn't want it as a day job because yeah. that would take the enjoyment out of it for me. Mm. I'm always happy to give advice, which mm. is the bit I do like doing, because everybody, <laughs> always, everybody <laughs> always gets the rigs wrong. Everyone, everybody always has the wrong ideas. <laughs> so apparently, it's true. If you've got a high-gain amp, this is a prime example. If you've got a high-gain amp, like this Randall sat here, mm-hmm. what do you want in front of it? Or any kind of distortion. Well, you don't any want high-gain of... pickups from the guitar for a start, even, oh, yeah, just, sorry, yeah, even from... just on single tape. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's the his job to provide the gain, not the guitar. I knew, I knew we'd have a good, gain, good talk about rigs and guitars low-gain guitar, now. Low-gain rigs. I, I, I knew we'd have some great conversations about this, about like one of the things I learned with amps very quickly. Oh, I, need, I need the most strongest pickups in the world. What, what, what rig are you using? Um, I'm using um, a Husen Ket Triamp. Yeah, you don't want them, mate. <laughs> you don't want you know, game pickups in that guitar. That's, that's not that, what you want. That's one all. of the things that I, I discovered early on is letting an amp do what it's meant to do. You know, the amount Correct. of times that you're like, you know, it's like the onboard distortion for it uh, and gain for stuff is, is something, you know, let it let it do its job. Don't force its multiple gains and distortions onto something. Let, let an amp do what its characteristic is meant to do. Well, you know? if, we, if we go back, if we go back way to Fender Tweeds when they were first sort of released in the 50s and that sort of thing, if we look at a Fender Tweed, it had no amount of distortion or gain or anything at all. The gain it just had volume yeah. and by way of valves it may have had a certain degree of breakup on it but that breakup was really provided by the the pickup windings being knackered yeah so the way around it was to overwind the pickup which is how sort of the original sort of pafs came about and that sort of thing Mm. so they started overwinding them 
just by small amounts, which will start providing gain to amplifiers. Come like sort of the 70s, they started making amplifiers a bit more juicy. Hmm. So the the call for gain to an amplifier from a guitar isn't really as great, but still they're producing super distortions because at that point we haven't hit quite hit the 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 ridiculous heights of the early 90s and, and Mesa Boogie, Triple Rex yeah, yeah, and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. Rectifiers, yeah. So we hadn't got to that point yet. So by that point, we've got like super distortions and distortion threes and Duncans and blah, 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 which were really high game pickups. What they didn't need to then be happen to them is to be stuck in front of a Misa mm. or a Randall or a Crank yeah. as a, Crank, a yeah. great example. Yeah. They, they, they don't work well, well all they do is you need and you need a stage that's 40 meters long to get rid of the feedback from the amplifier <laughs> so you can play the damn guitar yeah so all, all you're doing is ruining your single chain hmm. you, you're ruining the enjoyment of the instrument through not understanding how the bloody thing works, works. in the first place yeah, yeah, yeah well that's that's what you see a lot sometimes with the inexperienced is that when they're setting up their line and their whole rig, is that you don't realise that some things are fighting against each other. You're yeah. meant to, you, everything's meant to work together. Uh, you know, if it's in your rig, it needs to be enhancing. You know, and 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 like everything from if it's in front of the amp or it's in a, it's in an effects loop and all that type of thing, they all are part of this this wonderful chain. Like I said earlier on, and understanding that, like you say, and understanding what your pickups do. You know, understanding how they work, understanding what that the toggle switches do and everything and about what uh, you know, headroom is on an amp and what, you know, when, when break up, like you talk about all these things, uh, if you don't learn, you end up, you're making the, the, the role of what you're doing incredibly difficult. You're making you, you're fighting against the machine about what it wants to do and the, and the equipment That's of what it. what it wants to do. I see that a lot like, because what you get is you get people's expectations. I've got to have this, 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 and this to get this sound. It's like, no, it's not the case you can do. Most things with a very small rig setup. And we would, listen, we're going to talk about guitars and rigs definitely then. Let, let, we'll get into that. Oh, so when, when, where are we in timeline before uh, Bloodstock sort of enters the picture then? Oh, hang on, you're back. There you go. You're sorry. You, you went into cyberspace then and never came back. Where are we in the timeline before? And then it just stops. <laughs> All right, sorry. Yeah, so how, how close are we to Bloodstock and, and Beamageddon and that type of thing? So... Bloodstock, um, we'll come on to that shortly. Um, that was a weird set of scenarios. Uh, <laughs> so we're, we're, we're quite a bit before that. The, the, the boy hadn't quite been born then. Right. So I uh, hadn't met his mum. I hadn't done the deed with her. Um, at that point, everything went a bit quieter and I went more back into bands. Right. Um to escape the house, mostly. <laughs> <laughs> um, just kidding. If Angie's listening, sorry. Um, so at that point, I sort of took a more of a backseat to that again, um, and started started playing a bit more within thrash bands. Hmm. Um, I love playing thrash. It's dead easy. It's just grunge sped up. It's wonderful. <laughs> Uh, it is. It's That's just true. just punk or grunge sped up. It's just three, four chords sped up to buggery. <laughs> yeah, it's fabulous. 
Um, but like I say, all the virtuosos when I was growing up anyway lived within the thrash realms. So yeah, it, it's right. So we're up to about 2002 now. Okay. So this is eight years before my first visit to Bloodstock. Okay. So I'm back into bands. The next eight years, I'm still sort of attending gigs, not as much as I was because I had young children. Hmm. Um, and then um, me and the boys' mum split up. Sorry, this is, I don't, I don't sort of want to be, but it is on the timeline now. It does sort of like yeah. set off another series of events. Sure, yeah. It's so like through one of the events. That's it, yeah. So through that, I became good friends with the drummer and the band that was in at the time. Um, and he was like going to loads of underground bands, mm. gigs. So I got back into the underground scene. This would have been 2006. Um, there was a glorious period until I think I mentioned it to you, didn't I? A glorious period where there was like loads of death metal all day, is just loads of them everywhere. Yeah, there were like a few quid, a few quid ago, and you could go out and see cancerous womb and cerebral bore and neuroma. And oh man, they were good times they were. Yeah. Um, and Sal with whiplash promotions was putting a lot of them on around Liverpool. Liverpool seems to just have one every couple of nights. Sal, like, Sal, Sal's been on the show, like, and we're going to get her on again. Uh, just some I remember like being like death metal shows like every other weekend. It's fucking fabulous. Yeah, that's it. They were all day. They were like a few quid for getting all day. Yeah, you, you left and you just left like in that amazing to somewhere in Liverpool. You'd be surrounded by Totty and Ailes, and you'd just feel like an alien that was spaced out. <laughs> wouldn't you? It was just wonderful. Some of some of the greatest shows I've ever been to there, like you say, like Cancerous Room and stuff. Just some just some of the best shows I've ever been with and. and I can was saying, you know, there's a place called the Outpost in Liverpool now, and the stuff that Joe Morton was doing, he's also been on the show, is fabulous. I love Joe. Bring, he was bring, in one of my favourite DM bands. I just honestly, what a human, what a human being. If it wasn't for him, I would say that the north, west, and northeast there'd be no death metal scene at all. Almost, you know, he's, he's that pivotal. He's the work he's doing, and he's putting a show up on. I'm going to next this weekend coming. Uh, and it's, uh, it's an amazing bill I was telling you about with, with fetal juice on and yeah, uh, and fetal juice are great lads as well. They they I saw them from young sort of wrecked lads outside. <laughs> first time songs outside the Snooty Fox and Wakefield. Snooty Fox, uh, yes. And uh, <laughs> they, they, I had them on at BM again a couple of years ago, and they were just an absolute dream. They were just fabulous. So, so let's talk a, talk a little bit about about being again and and kind of that, that type of scene. What happened there? Then with being again, it wasn't something I was familiar with. I knew of it, well, I've only done that one a couple of times. Hmm. But I'll be honest; it's a bit like going two all days over the course of well, three all days over the course of a weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got that real old school vibe about it. Yeah, and gyms brilliant you know when you, you know when you like sort of instantly at home somewhere yeah yeah it feels like home. it's it's that jim right jim wants everything starting at like sort of one o'clock in the afternoon after 12 one o'clock in the afternoon because jim wants a line in the morning because yeah. we've all had ale and that before <laughs> and we all want a good lion and let's face it listening to like sort of Crepitation at sort of half past nine in the morning <laughs> isn't the most fun. Yeah. <laughs> not the most fun you can have of a weekend. You wouldn't believe it, but it's not. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, it, it's sort of like um, uh, we were asked. So as a crew, it was, um, it was through Amo. Amo was like the stage manager on the New Blood stage at <laughs> uh, Bloodstock, which is how I ended up there. Mm. Um, but um, it was through him that he took over the sound side of things um, as from another guy. Mm. And he wanted the Bloodstock crew to run that yeah. there. Yeah. So we all obviously went, <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> 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 um, um, you know what? We've had a blast doing it. An absolute yeah. blast doing it. It's just one of the mm. most wonderful weekends you can have. Mm. Genuinely, without any word of a lie, I think it's like, oh, geez, it's like 40 quid or something. It's like something that like that. Yeah, it's not much. Camping. Oh, man, it's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, it's brilliant. If you've not been, I don't know why you've not been. You're crazy. You should. <laughs> it's just brilliant. It's like, you, you know, when we've just mentioned those old days at Salad Porra? Hmm. It's like having three it's of them vibe. together. Yeah, it's that vibe. It completely it's just, you get the you get the right people there. Mm. You know what I mean? You get yeah. the right people there. There's that happy vibe. It's really it's really old school. It's so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so that's one of the so things good. that I, I really enjoy about this current death metal scene um, and slam and, and that type of thing is that the, uh, to the outside it's extremely aggressive. An extremely kind of uh, attacking music. It's very extreme. It's, it's not you know, though, is it? It's but about it's not. the groove. Exactly. About yeah. the groove. But, but when you once you get all people here is the screaming and the loudness, and, and that's what they hear is the outside world. But once you get into that world, you realize it's not that at all. Like you say, it's all about the grooves. And actually, it's incredibly positive atmosphere. That's it's it, incredibly yeah. happy atmosphere. It's not, it's no no one's walking around. You're in the same mindset as they are on stage. They're not all like going. It's fucking. It's not they're like that. They love you to death. Yeah, like you squeeze the life out you. Exactly, and that's the reason that the scene not only exists but thrives as well because it welcomes everybody. It welcomes all. Like I've seen people who've gone to the shows not know what to expect and go, "Oh, I don't know if I'm going to like this," and totally embrace it because like this is fucking fantastic. This is what. People always talk about, you know, what's a scene? How does it create? How does it begin? And it, you're seeing it created in a death metal community now. You're seeing that scene. Now, that's not going to mean okay. that it crosses over to more popular music, but it's certainly going to mean that it stays around well, for a long time. My, the favourite bands I've been in have been death metal ones through that reason. Hmm. It's just through that. Number one, there's always like sort of a groove there. Number two, it's a bit... What's the best way? Spread your legs and hit it when you're playing it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the other reason is, is the crowd there, you can't shock them yeah. for a start. You're they're shocking them. them. Oh. And they're all loved up. Yeah. Honestly, it, yeah. it's it's unbelievable. They're yeah. the most loved up crowds you can possibly have. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've, never, I've never seen a fight at a death metal show. No, I haven't. I, 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 I just it just doesn't work like that it's like all the energy and all the negativity if you will that you have going on your life is expelled on the stage it's like there you go have this and then everybody else that's great every single time without exception those that front man that you see come off stage who's just been tearing the place in you are so is the sweetest person in the world off stage that's it yeah the, the, the sweetest person it's like 
The only way I can attribute it to someone who isn't, it doesn't like that type of music is it's like doing a workout. And then after you've done a workout, you don't want to do, you don't want to fight anybody. You just, because all the energies expelled. That's it. You know, floppy and yeah, Exactly. And I think that that's a, that's a wonderful thing. So when, listen, fucking hell, Steve, we've, we've done nearly an hour and we haven't even talked about Bloodstock. We should probably. <laughs> We should probably talk about Bloodstock. Well, they don't need no help, yeah. But it, I'm interested in then. So, how's that? How's that kind of phone call or how's that conversation start with? Like, you know, we need you to, we want you to tech for the for the the new blood stage. How's that that even start? So what what happened was, it was a really weird set of scenarios. So we were set for go. Me and me and Animal, who was we had been doing like sort of all the, the old days and the death metal gigs with, yeah. So Animal gets this call. He says, we were set for go Bloodstock this particular summer. And um, he says, um, I've had a call off such and such. I've got who it was. He said, I've been asked to do drum teching on the new Blood stage at Bloodstock. I'm like, oh, right. So <laughs> me, 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 me and my sole Bloodstock ticket will just go Bloodstock on his own. I'll <laughs> just that's, stand there. Yeah. That's... that's that's fine. I'll just I'll just go and make God on my own and just sit there shaking myself all night. That'd be right. <laughs> so he said, "Hang on, I'll, I'll phone up see if I can get you there with me." So he phoned up. He said, "Yep, yeah, right, okay." They're happy they'll have, have you as a guitar tech there as well. This is Ammo, the stage manager who runs slaps the crew for that. Obviously, the, the stage is actually sort of run and controlled by Simon All, really. Yeah. Um, if you're listening to Simon, I love you. You're a very handsome man, and you look <laughs> younger than you're, however old you are, as of <laughs> the other day. Happy birthday, etc., etc. Um, so he's phones me and said, "Right, we need to sell the tickets." I'm like, oh, "Okay." Mm-hmm. So they get sold. Happy days. We know what Bloodstock is. We've been going like a couple of times. We're all we're all good there. So uh, I suppose I don't really know what I expected. Mm-hmm. Um, so we rocks up and we're told to look for this uh, uh, obtuse Yorkshireman. An obtuse Yorkshireman, really? You think there's such a thing? I'm sure there was more than one there at the time. Um, <laughs> so, sorry, Ammo. Um, you're not really obtuse. I love you. You're like my long lost brother in a weird way um yeah so sure enough we, we rocks up there and it's the first time as a crew we'd all work together wow um but we all all had interestingly was exception to two people mm-hmm. a background in motorbikes oh yeah there's that connection there it is. <laughs> ace that's ace um so we all immediately get each other's rather sick and distorted humor yeah that's it um so that all works really well Mm. now the first day we got there what people don't see behind the scenes on the stages or the setup Mm. now normally of the first day i'll land i'll sort of do steve's walk around the side on Facebook live messenger these whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. 
and sort of uh, it's like watching Doom 3D. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like what the first person sort of bloodstone yeah. thing. Um, so I'll sort of have a walk around, and anybody that's watching can watch it, and that's absolutely fine. But what they don't see then is what happens. Hmm. So at that point, the stage is just about being built. The lighting is still being installed. The sound is still being installed. There are no fences up. There is nothing. This is a couple of days before yeah. it, it opens. Hmm. Normally, we're just about clear for when it opens. Hmm. We've just about done at that point. So um, for the next two days, what tends to happen is we tend to be load, doing the loading, building the fences, Putting the sponsors up. Um, there's a lot of standing around waiting for things to come in. Um, not eating. That's another thing we don't do for a while. <laughs> um, taking the piss out of each other. We do that a lot. Very important. Yeah. Very important. It is most important. Setting like our things up even. You know what I mean? I know yeah. it sounds ridiculous, but we all live behind the stage. Yeah. It's like a little Smurf colony. Yeah. Um so we all live behind the stage. And I know it sounds like great fun, but tour bus is arriving and pulling off at like two, half two in the morning with a yeah. generator. Of, no peace, yeah. yeah it's, it's hard work. Mm. It's genuinely hard work. Mm. So we get to the point sort of the gates open and we're just about ready to start testing the rigs on the stage. Mm. That'll be normally just as the gates are opening. This year it's going to be slightly different. From working together as far as I'm aware, we've got the back line line arriving quite early. Mm. Um, but we're just at that point now, and normally the sound guys are, at that point are ripping their hair out because, and, and absolutely, there will be something amiss. Yeah, always, absolutely, always. Um, the lampies are also testing their smoke machines off while we're trying to test the bank lines. That's always the case. So we'll obviously get a face full of whatever it is they're pumping out onto the stage and then we can't see for half an hour. Uh, we always have... I say we always... We've had a couple of issues whereby that's put, we've had to like, call up the, whoever provides the back line because we, we may have had an amp head fail or we may have had a foot switch fail. We've we checked all this as we're going through. <sighs> Um, and then me being me and Elliot being Elliot will no doubt be cranking out riffs for the next five minutes because <laughs> we can get away with it. Yeah. Now, I can tell you the story how this came about. Um, it involved a guitar manufacturer. Hmm. Um, them not wanting to lend me a guitar to test the back line with. Okay. Now, we have, like, sort of sit... We have sponsor guitar manufacturers like sort of like um, without mentioning names it might be one name or mm. another it depends on who's there over the weekend i suppose yeah. um, but this particular year it was one i didn't particularly like anyway <laughs> uh, <laughs> but what happened was as i went i said could i borrow one of your guitars please to just run through the amps just to make sure yeah we can fire them up and I'll bring it straight back. Oh, no, we can't give you one of them. I was like, huh? But 
I, I just wanted. I just you can come <laughs> and follow me if you want. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll come and do it for you. I said, when 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 you're going to get time for that? Oh, I'll do it sometime this afternoon. I said, no, I really need <laughs> now. <it."> yeah, <laughs> now would be good. Yeah, so yeah, we can like get on with it. That's <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. And my stage management and myself went. Well, hang on a minute. This isn't this isn't right. You know what I mean? We shouldn't mm. really be sort of the men. The here is as unsponsor. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm clearly a responsible person. Being a, look, I've got the badge. It says I'm responsible. Yes, I am the crew. Yeah, yeah. I am. I am uncrew. I yeah. am unresponsible un- human. Yeah, I'm a stage manager. This this lad's got like thousands and thousands of pounds worth of guitars. He's got some right proper exotic stuff. So just borrow the guitar. There'll be ten minutes for it. Yeah. And no, 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 no. So anyway, we had to subside and let the person. <laughs> um, without be uh, yeah, without being too um, where is it about it? Come and do it himself. So we had to wait. So I was waiting by the stage, literally ages, mm. ages and ages and ages, to the point where I went down and shoot them again to get somebody back. Yeah. They, they just don't care, you know what I mean? Yeah. They don't care about. They're not on the same. Don't care about them. They're there because the festival asked them to be there. Yeah, because they've got artists there. Yeah, and they've got there to look after the artists. I get that. Mm. But the artists at that point aren't fucking there. <laughs> yeah, seeing that a lot. Yeah, well, it, uh-huh. it's it's interesting as well that you like, and this might blow some people's minds who are listening to this. Um, before the stage and everything is there, Bloodstock is a fucking field. It's a field, right? Imagine yeah, when you, if go, you if you look closely, there's like sheep shit yeah, on the field. It's it's a fucking field. Imagine when you go camping and how fucking long it takes to put your tent up and you just go, oh, for fuck's sake, and you have to put where I'm putting it. Okay, I've got to be putting it here. And oh, think about that. That's a tiny, tiny thing compared to building a stage. Make it secure with, with your massive equipment. You've got to build this. So people would say, like, well, okay, just, just set it up earlier so you know it's not doesn't go to the wire. They don't own this equipment. This equipment is hired from somewhere else. And previously, it's been somewhere else. There's only so much of this equipment around. You've got a, a narrow window to with which to get everything set up and get everything where it needs to be. And there's always that person, anybody that's ever worked festivals, it will know, Ed, there's always that person that is flying in and flying out and doesn't understand that and doesn't understand that, you know, listen, we all have to work together to make this work. And the reason why Bloodstock works so well is everybody in the crew, top to bottom, uh, is uh, like people like Simon Hall have been in bands or been around at long enough to know, listen, you just, you get on with it. You know, you get it. What do we need to do to make this show work? And they get it over the line. And it, it's, it's such a credit to, to, to Bloodstock is uh, to, to be starting in a tiny place. If you will, Cat Hall start and moving all the way to where it is now and run so well, but even then it's still so much work to, to get that done. So much work. You know, those, four, five, six days, if you will. You're just working all the time. And yes, there is downtime, but it's not real downtime when you're waiting for a truss to appear or whatever it may be. You're not, you can't go and go to sleep. Or you're you, on edge until yeah. your stage is finished. Exactly right. And even then, when 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 everything kicks off and the first band and it's go, you're still on edge and it doesn't yeah, stop. It's, it. like, it's like riding a roller coaster ride right the way to the end until you go, right, okay, that's it. We're packing down now. And then you can almost literally breathe a sigh of relief and get on with it. But it's that excitement that you know, that's the reason I 
I got myself involved with doing stage management and bands and stuff is that when it goes right, it's such a, it's such a wonderful experience. And what you talked about there about the, the guys that are around, that camaraderie is absolutely wonderful. You know, you start off with, like you say, oh, we're all, we're all into bikes and we all have the same self-depreciating humour. And that's that gets you on the same page. And then you go through literally a war together. You go through the most stressful, difficult circumstances sometimes. And you get through at the end. That camaraderie is absolutely the, one of the things I miss about touring um, with a crew, with a great crew. That like whole thing of we did this, you know, we set it up and we made it work is I think it's a beautiful part of the business. Um, and it's such a testament to yourself and the crew at Bloodstock as well that, you know, that was the first time you'd met those guys. You know, most of the time, festival crews have been doing it so long, they've worked together for years, or tour crews have been out with multiple shows, multiple world tours and European shows and whatever, and they've learned each other's kind of different things and what they do and they've made it work. That's such a, that's unbelievable to think that, you know, your first show, most of you haven't even met. That's a, that's incredible, that like to me. Like I say, it's, it's a big stage to like sort of meet each other at. You know? <laughs> it is, yeah. Think sort of without a net, you know, you know, it's a, it's a it's a tough ask. So, where do you, that first one, you know, that must have been a learning curve, then, Steve. That must have it was been a massive learning curve. So, me and Animal, obviously, we already knew each other. So he's like, like the drum tech on stage. We already knew each other a long time before that because we've been playing in bands together. Yeah. Um, and obviously visiting, going gigs together and wanking each other off and toilets. Yeah, and usual stuff. Yeah, usual usual stuff. normal, normal things. Normal, yeah, totally normal. things. Yeah. Um, and um, we got to the end of the first day. We went for our meal mm. in the catering hall. <laughs> we walked back up the access road, crawled in the tent and fell asleep. Yep. That'll be it. We were absolutely bear keeping in mind my job is a physical job. Yeah, yeah. Like, at work, my, my career, my career, I, I am very physical. Yeah. I am physically quite a fit person. I was fucked. I had yeah. nothing left in me. Mm. Nothing at all. Mm. I crawled into the tent and melted. That was the end of me for the day. Yeah. That was at about eight o'clock. I was Don't done. Doubt that. Don't doubt that. That was it. Yeah. Over. Mm. Until the next morning. Mm. Because it's not, a- like you say, it's not like a, no- a normal job. You know, it's not, you don't, you don't go for your tea break at this particular time or, you know, there's no, you know, just the rules are, are kind of almost go, you know, you're working to get done. You're pushing yourself to the absolute limit. And this is like, you know, this is every day. Like you say, I, I fell asleep fully clothed plenty of times in a tent, you know, just passed out because it was completely spent of all energy. And then somehow you've got to dig deep the next day to get up and go, right, well, we're going to do it all again. You know, it's, yeah, it's, that's it. it's such a, it's such a toll and it's a toll mentally as well. You know, it's a toll mentally because you've always got to be thinking, you've always got to be like, you know, okay, this is a, it's problem solving like the touring and, and any kind of, stage management is an, uh, an endless chain of problem solving. This doesn't Correct. work. That doesn't work. This person can't do this. How do we solve this? How do we get around this? I, I'm sure endless. there are numerous videos of me online on YouTube or on Bloodstock's videos 
of me scrabbling around on stage trying to find out where a break and the lines come from. <laughs> well, the other one is, is I'm the only one that seems to chase people, like the artists into the crowd when they enter the crowd for make sure the cables land back on the stage in one piece. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that, that kind of brings us nicely to where what I saw you write and, and I thought was incredibly funny and endearing, but also an enormous amount of truth to it was that you wrote quite a long piece about uh, new bands and in particular new guitarists coming to the Bloodstock New Blood stage for the first time and maybe didn't understand or weren't aware of some of the some of the interesting scenarios that can come up and you were giving them a bit of a heads up. And it felt in a beautiful way, please take this the way it's intended, it felt like your dad telling you before you went to do on That's... holiday. Anyway, okay, keep your money, keep all your money, don't talk to any strangers. It felt like that. In a beautiful sock. (laughs) It felt like that. It felt like that. It felt like a beautiful thing. But that's the the underlying thing to that was that you must have seen a a catalogue of mistakes that new fans and new guitarists must have made when they go onto a large stage. Literally exactly that. I have seen every possible unfortunate failure in existence that can happen on a stage. Yeah. Every conceivable one. <laughs> Everyone. And I've always had to do something about it. Mm. So I would rather try and clear up the mess before it happens rather than do it whilst they're on stage. Because at the end of the day, what I want for them is what I would want myself. Yeah. Which is yeah. to give my absolute heart to the people that have come to watch me. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I don't want them worrying about a single thing when they're up there. Because mm. I, I am ultimately their safety net. Yeah. But I want them to give themselves that fighting chance before I have to intervene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's well, just as a, as a sort of sidebar, those people that maybe are, are not aware of Bloodstock or no, not have been to Bloodstock, uh, where the new Blood stage is, it's, you know, it's a, a minute walk from the main stage. You're like, your people watch stuff on the main stage. Then they'll go, okay, well, there's a break and I don't really like this band. So I'm going to go and check out the new blood stage and they'll go to the left and they'll walk down and there's the new blood stage and it's great. And it's, it's where people go to find new music. It's where people go to discover bands as well as, you know, see bands that are making the transition from uh, a pubs and clubs to, to a bigger forum. And so it's the time sometimes when the first pair of eyes is going to see yet yeah, someone will go, I'll have heard of this band, but now I'm going to actually go and see them. So for many, you're going to be in front of a whole new set of eyes and ears that are going to see you. It's incredibly important that that first impression is absolutely great. Now, there's two sides to this coin. There's the first side where it's visually and audibly, it's got to be great. You've got to be good. That's People are paying to see you. They're giving you the time. You want to win them over. You want to gain new fans. You've got to be good. There's the visual on that side, but there's the professionality side of the things that I talk about quite a lot is where you're also going to have to learn how festival crews work and learn how to make that work with them. Because if, when you become super duper rock stars and you go touring about the world, you're going to have to go to Germany or go to France uh, and go to a festival uh, type of situation where you don't have the control that you have with your own show in a pub, in a club or whatever where it's a, it's a throw and go. You're literally coming in. You have to learn that to work with the crew, to work with the, uh, uh, the crew on site, the local crew, to get the best things out of it. And that's, that's where people like Steve come in, ladies and gentlemen, where, like he says, he's there to make, to, to make you sound and have the best experience you possibly can have. 
And you've got to work with him to get that. If you don't, you are fighting. It's, it's, you're fighting a losing battle because he's to your safety net. You're cutting the strings of your safety nets by not working with Steve. And I'm sure you found it. And I, I, we're not, we wouldn't dare get into naming names, but I'm sure you found bands that have been arrogant enough to not appreciate that. I've not appreciated that they're only one band on in several bands and they're taking the time to set up or taking the time to fuck off stage and they're in the way and they're obstinate and they're all difficult. You must have experienced that as well. We have to a certain degree, but most of what's set up on stage, we set up. We have an extremely tight window on that stage, hmm. extremely tight window. So from the moment that band that's been on shuts off to the moment the next band starts up, we have 15 minutes to turn them around. Which is nothing, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. 15 minutes to clear them up and set a new band up. That's the sound check and everything. Mm. Everything. So all the levels, all the monitors, getting the heads on stage, setting the instruments up, making sure the amps work, mm. uh, everything. Mm. You know what I mean? That's it's, it's nothing at all. Yeah. We have. So what we tend to do is take control out of, well, try and take control off that side of the band. Yeah. Loading in and loading out and put it onto ourselves. Mm. That way we can absolutely ensure that they're not faffing around at the back of their rigs or, you know what I mean? Yeah. We're, we're doing it for them. We, we will be ultimately much faster, mm. much, much faster. Because mm. the back, the back line, ladies and gentlemen, I'm sure a lot of people listening will know this, but the back line is essentially the, the back of, uh, uh, of the stage where all the amplification is and what have you. And that's a, essentially a skeleton that you kind of slot different parts into, but the backline stays more or less the same. You'll change some things out. And that's there to save time. That's why that exists there, to save time and make sure that there's less of a, ch- a changeover. And therefore, we can concentrate on the experience of playing. Um, and so leaving it with the, with the crew is absolutely paramount, and trusting the crew is, is absolutely paramount. And so... There's a lot of mistakes that, that Steve was talking about. I mean, we won't go through all of them, but let's say what so let's go through the top three mistakes that you would say that a new guitarist or a new band makes when they go on a festival stage. Cheap cables. Oh god. Oh my god. Yeah. The devil. Absolutely the devil. The devil. Cheap cables. The worst thing in the world. Do it. Do you like feedback? Do you like a lot of feedback? <laughs> Do you, want the, do you want your guitar to pack in halfway through the rig? Do you want to be tied up to your amp because your cable's wrapped up in a million... Yeah, yeah. cheap cables. Number one failure. Absolutely. Yeah. The number one failure. There, there is that. Cheap failure. How, how many, how many times have you seen people with the, the most expensive rigs you've ever seen in your life and come with a two-pound cable? <laughs> You're like, yeah. what the fuck? It's well, like it's fucking... Cable, fucking Shitty tires on a Ferrari. It's like you know. Yeah, that's it. It's like putting skidmores you... or hedgemasters on the Ferrari, isn't it? It's just not a thing. Like, what are you doing? It's like you know. I'm gonna go rallying in fucking the Alps now. I'm gonna put a, a, a the shittest set of tires that you want. It's like what are you doing? It's the it's the with as as or oh, any rodeo or tech will tell you. Whenever anything goes wrong, the first thing you look at is the fucking cables next to batteries. Yeah, but you you look at the if cable. You have if you have a good cable manufactured for you for you. It's about 25, 30 quid. It's nothing. Nothing, no. Nothing. 25, 30 quid. You can spend that on, on ale in the supermarket. Yeah. You know what I mean? Ale and yeah. ice cream. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's just buy a decent cable, <laughs> for 
God's sakes. It's because it's because the reason it happens is because cables aren't sexy, are they? It's like amps. They're not fun. They're not, they're yeah. not fun. <laughs> I, I could I could spend fucking you know five hundred pound on a clon fucking overdrive, but uh, you know I can't get enough to make fucking thirty pound yeah, fucking it. cables. I'll yeah, just yeah. buy this cable that's got like a core yeah, in it. The, doesn't the doesn't do anything. <laughs> It doesn't do anything and you're like it doesn't shine in any way it's like but it's probably the most important part of your rig but it's true it is it's, it's totally true to cables yeah number one what else related to that but not the same batteries and things ah the madness the madness of batteries what you mean you've, <laughs> left, you've, you've left you've left your pedal plugged in and, and the battery's been ah what the fuck <laughs> yeah oh the madness the madness. Like I, said, like I said on the post, take them out. For God's sake, take them out. If you're using yeah. batteries, even in your guitar, take them out. Yeah, yeah. You weird, up, weird yeah. things to them. And oh, your yeah. guitars at a festival are going to go through a lot of temperature changes. Yeah, yeah. A that's, lot. That's, that's such a thing that I really had a, a, a steep learning curve with, was temperature changes with guitars and stuff uh, at shows. Because you could be, so that guitar could be sitting in the tour bus underneath the tour bus and it's been freezing all night and then you bring it out and it's it's a sunny shiny day in spain and it's blazing there's nothing but heat on your guitar and there's probably lights on it as well fucking good luck keeping that in tune exactly. good fucking luck you know and so yeah it's uh, batteries number and I, i'm sorry not that none of this is very sexy for the for the guitarist listening where they're like oh i thought we were going to talk about different valves and stuff from Russia and all this and exotic stuff. No, we're talking we about the shit. Because everybody gets do. the valves on the preamp stage is wrong on the show. <laughs> <stage. laughs> oh, they're all 1287s. They're fucking not. You're doing it wrong, mate. <laughs> Amazing. But it's, yeah, it's like, we're not talking about the stuff that's going to, is, is sexy here. We're talking about the stuff that's going to fucking work just to get you, just to work. Just to add it so it, there's no problems. No, no, it's an old saying it applies. Keep it simple, stupid. It's true. It's so the best rigs I've ever used have always been the simplest, with the the, the least fucking around, and, and they've always sounded the better. The least stuff you've got in between you uh, and the amp, almost always the better. You know, it's all it's all it's all there. So we're saying cables, we're saying batteries. What else? Um, badly maintained guitars. Oh, <laughs> and a hush falls on the room. What he's talking, a... Steve's so... talking about there is 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 fucking looking after yourself, like fucking hell, looking after your instrument. Jesus. So Christ. let's look at it this way: you've been with this band, whoever it is, touring around the country, doing gig after gig, weekend after weekend. When was the last? You also notice a scratchy noise on your pot when you're tearing it up and down. <laughs> it's not going clear up by spraying super service all on it. <laughs> it's not going to happen. What it's going to do is eventually fail catastrophically. Yeah, always at the worst. The pot is five pounds. Five whole pounds. But yeah. again, it's not sexy. It's not sexy. But you know what? It's going to save you your life. What? It'll stop your guitar from failing. You're going to save your life. Laura that. Yeah. All the crackle. Oh, the crackle when you and you can hear it, can't you? You can hear it a million yeah. miles away. Yeah, and you're like, oh, for fuck's sake! And you can, uh, or, or the switch on the toggles, the classic. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's another good one. Fucking hell! You can hear it. You can you can hear it coming down. You're like, if we just get through this, I'm, yeah, yeah. No! <laughs> because look, look, ladies and gentlemen, you know, you 
you're playing it's a it's quite a large crowd so you that, that new blood stage can get pretty full and it's and and they fucking want some quality and they're not you're not going to put up with fucking hard you've got to turn it on you've got to put your work in clean your guitar change your strings fucking hell you checked it it literally works as a machine let alone sounding good and you know and all that type of malarkey that it actually works as a machine if you were going on a massive Correct. 300, 400 mile journey in your car. You'd check if you had fucking fuel, wouldn't you? You'd check if the fucking tires were okay. Check if you'd have water. You'd have a look at a, a little bit of the car if you've got a massive journey. You're putting this guitar for the 30 minutes you have right front and center, you know, of everything you do. Spend a bit of time. Just give it, just clean and take care of you. Have your... a relationship with the things that you have. Yeah. Take ownership. For yeah. the things that you own, you know yeah. what I mean. It's not too much to ask, is it? I've just spent, you know what I mean. You you spend like twelve hundred quid on a, a nice shiny Ibanez, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. treat it like you have spent twelve hundred pound yeah. on it, yeah. not two pound fifty at your local car boot sale. That comes for that's, sake. For me, Nothing that comes from uh, that comes from that's for me. My sentiment is a British mentality is that like working class British. It's like if I'm paying for something that costs a lot of money, I'm fucking getting absolutely every drop of use out of that. I, I will I will learn everything about it so I don't have to pay someone else to do it. I'm going to fix that. I've seen too many times I've seen this, especially in a pub and a club sort of situation, is a guitarist break a string or the sound go out and they just look aimlessly around because they don't know how to, they don't know what's going on. And it's soul-destroying when you see it happening. Soul-destroying. Well, that, that's the other one. We'll, we'll get around to that now. <laughs> on, they, look, you know, typical guitarist. Looks on Amazon for 14 hours <laughs> at strings and the reviews. <laughs> yeah. Looks at the Dario NYXLs for yeah. £15. Yeah. Then looks at the Asda Value Strings for £1.99. <laughs> Thanks. Well, yeah. a string is a string is a string. Oh, it's not. <laughs> no. Oh, it's fucking oh really. Oh my not. god! Yeah, it's just strings. Like, listen for the for the for the, the non guitarists out there. How here you you know feel free to skip past this. But for the guitarists, I'm going to tell you stuff that you you know that you all know and you'll all cringe as well as the. Oh my life! I went through when I first started playing. I just bought the cheapest set of strings I ever could. Oh my god! I wish I. I <laughs> Because you, you don't last as long. That's just a given. They don't last as long. Um, the sound album's fucking awful. Dead. I, I, yeah, they're just dead. And it's like, look, you may have heard that Eddie Van Halen used to love yeah, dead strings on his guitar, but that's not the fucking case. Trust me. Trust me. Uh, you know, new strings can transform a guitar, transform it uh, with a good you set know what? of new strings. I, I've, I've, the last transform. five years or so, I've got into Dario NYXLs. Mm. I hated uh, Dario's before that. Yeah. I never really liked them. Yeah. Wow. Them NYXLs. Wow. Fantastic. Wow. What a string. Fantastic. Unbelievable. You cannot upset them. You just can't. You can do anything. You yep. can slap the guitar. You can pull on them. You, you can't. You can't send the things out of tune. The, te the technology on, on guitar strings now is phenomenal. Phenomenal now compared to say 10 and they've transformed the sound of some of the guitars, yeah. They will, yeah. I mean, look, you Steve will tell you that the, the, the first thing to making your guitar sound better is not your playing, the first thing to do is actually look after your guitar, clean and tidy, getting it all working, and then your playing without a shred of practice will sound better. 
It's the it's the Correct. quickest route to a great town. Sure. You know, uh, and it, all of a sudden you'll start getting harmonics where there wasn't. There wasn't any. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, did, it, it plays better. Uh, but here's the thing. Here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen. All what we're talking about is yes, it's preparing you for the new blood stage. Um, what it's really doing, ladies and gentlemen, is preparing you for the big stage. So, if a guitar tech hands a guitar to someone who's famous in a big band and it's out of tune, they get sacked. If they ha- if they poorly look after the guitar and it cuts out during the big song that the MTV are currently watching you on or the live show and everybody's got a camera watching you, you're sacked. It's as simple as that. That's how fine line it gets to. At that level, at a big level, with big bands and arenas and that type of thing and big festivals, that's what it gets to. What you're experiencing now with Steve is the, the prep for that. Essentially, Steve's your teacher before he let he goes, right, go put your apron, go put your aprons on and go and do a fucking European tour, you know. So all these things we're laughing and joking about, but they are prepping you. Because even the biggest bands in the world, they have 15 minutes changing over at a festival. It's as simple as that. You know, they, everybody has this. This is prep for this. So why we can laugh and joke about it and, and it's fun. There's a learning that needs to take place. If you want to move to that mythical next level, as bands always talk about, it's looking after your equipment and the crew that you work with is absolutely paramount. That's it. That's exactly it. Like, like I say, it is. <clears throat> we, 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 like I say, we, we run a tight schedule. Mm. And the last thing we want is like for, to run over into somebody else's time as well. That's the other point behind it. If, if you have a catastrophic failure on stage and you, you just think it's okay to go into and you've got like 40 minutes set and you all of a sudden like waste five minutes yeah when you've got 10 minutes left and you run go on and you run onto a 15 minute track because you think it's absolutely acceptable to carry on it's yeah. not yeah it's not acceptable to do that 15 minute track you need to then improvise and put another track in instead because you are then eating into our time to change over and the possibly the band's time after which it's not fair on them it's, it's, it's not fair it's cat- catastrophically poor form it's a big dick move I, I talk to a lot of bands who are starting out and playing small shows and i am obsessed with things when i run shows to being stage managed to time i'm like everything's gonna run to time you've got 45 minutes you've got to do and, and the people often are like, fucking hell, why are you being so adamant about things running to time? Because it's prep for when it actually really matters. It's when you are on, on, on the main stage, it, any, I don't care what your fucking name is. If you overrun, you'll fucking know about it. There's a clock on every main stage of every festival that's ever existed. And you're fucking keeping to that clock. I don't give a fuck who you are. If you slay it, it doesn't matter. You, if you're overrunning, you'll be, you'll be told to cut it short. Just switch Our clock. That's sound. it. Our clock is called Bird, and she will rip your bollocks off. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, it's like because it's so disrespectful. It's so, it shows you that you have no understanding of the other people that are going to share that stage with you, and the crew that are helping that happen, and the fans. That you, you you can't say, okay, well, we'll just take ten minutes off the next band set. That what ten minutes of two songs that they've poured their heart and soul into. That's it's so disrespectful to do that. You cannot do that. So what you've got to learn to do, as Steve says, is improvise. You have to be able to, on the fly, change around your set. It's one of the key things of being a, a, a fantastic performer. There's a little sidebar here. I remember seeing Devin Townsend, the Bloodstock, and the beginning of his set, there were some problems. Mm-hmm. And I knew, yeah. Do you remember that show? And there were some problems. Yeah, I do, yeah. And 
it was a long time as well. It was a good 10, 15 minutes of, I think, about 40 minutes set. And he came out and said, we're experiencing problems. You know, this is what's going on. He told a few jokes. He entertained. He, he gave the crew time to get themselves together. And he figured it out. Now, I'm telling you now, he did, didn't just go and go, okay, well, we'll just carry on the set from this point. He called those songs and changed things around on the fly. And he approached it in exactly the right way. You know, didn't blame the crew, didn't shout at people. He approached it completely in the in the, in the right way and turned it around to me in a fun and, and it was fun. It was he made a joke of saying, "Okay, we're good to go now." When we come out, to make sure it looks like nothing's happened and give us the biggest cheer. <laughs> and he did. He got probably got the biggest pop of, of yeah. remember. And so, yeah. But think about how he could have handled it, and he didn't. But that's Devon Townsend. Even he's meant to be going to time and running the right way. And then not for nothing is that the reason that, that Dev's asked back again, because he's lovely to work with, because that's the real secret, ladies and gentlemen, that if you want to go from the new blood stage and you want to move up to the Sophie stage, one of the things that will be looked at, is not only how good you are or how many fans you have or how many fucking likes you have on Facebook, it's how you are to work with as a professional musician. Um, and you're also getting in a window into that world. I've seen bands transition from the new blood to Sophie beautifully. And the reason they've done that is because they've not been dickheads and they've been easy to work with because that's a fundamental thing of working a festival. You don't want to be the guy that drops the ball and causes problems for anybody else. We've already illustrated how many fucking problems there is. You don't want to add to that in any way. You want to take them away. That's it, yeah. That's exactly it. don't, Don't make yourself burdens that you don't need. Yeah. Don't create rods for your own back that you did that don't need to happen. So now, how many years then? Uh, what year was that? And how many years have you done Bloodstock for? I think, what are we up to now? We're including this one with 2021 then? We missed I think one. I'm on my, I think I'm on my eighth year now then. Wow. Um, so I suppose I'm, I'm the Bloodstock staff. I'm an old boy now. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, I didn't realise until I listened to Squatters one as well. I, I, I didn't realise I've been there longer than Squatter. <laughs> have, apparently. <laughs> um, so yeah, I suppose I, when I went there, like I was a when I first went there, I was a um, what's the best way to put it? I, I had a full head of hair and I was a bit of a yeti. <laughs> um, these days, I've had a boy band makeover and I don't represent that guy. <laughs> uh, so here's. Here's the thing as we wrap up now, Steve. Uh, so one of your kids comes to you and says, Dad, I want to get into the business of stage management and I want to become a tech. What do you say to them? Good luck with that. Um, <laughs> no, to, to be honest, what I, I would be whatever he wanted to do, I would be happy with whatever he wanted to do. Yeah. I wouldn't say don't do it. But I would say it's much harder work than you probably think it is. Yeah. However, he is. My boy's turned 17 this year. Okay. And he's coming to do some running at Beermageddon with me this year. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so he will be one of our pet slaves. <laughs> um, I'm not entirely sure if he knows what he's going into. <laughs> he's no idea, Steve. He's I no idea. I don't think he's got any... Clue. In a good way. In a good way. It is in a good way, bro. I, don't, I think he'll be shocked. 
He's going to grow well, up. Be, He's going to grow up. Beam again is a soft one to get into. Yeah. It's, it's like I say, it's much more relaxed. We have a lot more time to change the stage over. Yeah. Yeah. If it was Bloodstock, he would be getting howled at from the moment he wakes up. <laughs> <laughs> Which, as a 17 year old lad, is a bit, it's a bit much to take on board. Yeah. So, um, it, so here's probably the real question then. So, you know, a young Steve first starting to play guitar now meets Steve now, Tekken and Bloodstock and what have you. Mm. What are you what are you saying to him, this young Steve then? Uh, I suppose keep plugging away with what you're doing. It's going to take you places that you never thought you would ever go. Yes. Oh, that was wonderfully sweet, that Steve. After we were talking about fucking wanking crew members off and fucking <laughs> <laughs> No, it's, it's that was true. Sweet. genuinely. <laughs> The yeah. journey, it's its more to do with the instrument. The mm. journey the guitar has taken me on has been absolutely sublime. It's been one of the most worthwhile things I've ever done with my life. Yeah. I never thought I would travel to the places and see the people I've seen and made friends with people from all around the world. And just, you know, I can't, I can't genuinely, I can't put into words how much sort of joy it's given me doing it oh that's that's it's, a really sweet I, I i i that's what you see here in there ladies and gentlemen is steve just being as on that's i feel the same way i, I feel that you know the, the what it's given me is in the same way that's 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 fantastic and i want ladies and gentlemen i'll i'll wrap up here but i want you to remember that when steve is throwing a pedal at your head that really he's <laughs> he's a sweet sweet man uh, who really just wants to enjoy the sound of a beautiful guitar <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's about the size of it yeah <laughs> ladies and gentlemen we're going to have him on again to talk just fucking about valves for about fucking three hours more than anything else to be honest I could go on about valves and guitars and settles <laughs> if, if you look around the room like, if you look at the top of there there's there, hang on no that's a work shit no, there is like sort of a, a music man jp6 up there there's yeah um a j my benez jpm 100 p2 up there which is a bit of a rare thing that's a nice guitar uh there's one old drake's moses up there oh shit um there's a gibson down there they're a doctor there's a flying v that are made for look like um Jim Martin's down there and there's my aunt there have messed with the internals on and this is yeah. what this is what it's like for us the, the people that go to the people that do this type of thing our, our homes are filled with all the stuff with. that we picked up on tour I got amps I got flight cases I got a whole bunch of guitars and the guitar boats going all the way back yeah you just pick these things up don't you um, yeah. I've got a t-shirt but I've got like vacuum packed t-shirts under my bed from that many bands i regularly bring them out and put them in circulation i don't know what to do with them anymore <laughs> ladies and gentlemen we're gonna we could talk to steve for hours we probably will the next time he's getting on the show because we're gonna get him on again he'll be the guy at uh, uh give show him some support ladies and gentlemen you know go to check out bands at the new blood stage there's some unbelievable bands on there this year like some the quality is always but this year there's some bands on there that are absolutely superb and you know, make sure you 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 know you you check them out because that's really why we're we're all doing this, ladies and gentlemen. It's it's the legend that is now because eight years in, 
time saved. It's the legend that is Steve Jones. Thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. How good was it talking to Steve there about everything Bloodstock, guitar-related, everything? I think we covered a lot of bases. Definitely going to get him back on the show. Absolutely 100% going to get him back on the show. Really great. He's exactly the the, the person that we, we want to talk to, the people behind the scenes that you maybe don't see to help all this shit happen, help all the, these great shows happen. And there's, there's thousands and hundreds and thousands of these people out there. The the real sort of gears of war, as I often refer to, and these real legends who are helping it get done you can see you can hear just how passionate they are about music which is absolutely fantastic obviously we'll get steve on the show again and those of you that are playing the the new blood stage you know tip a hat to him yeah bring him some biscuits uh you know and, and look after him as well because he's uh he's very very important very valuable to us uh <laughs> we help get things done and help this stage be the best it is the new blood stage this year so many good acts on here. So many future people who will eventually go on to headline shows and headline festivals. And this is the starting point, and he helps them. And uh, you know, definitely someone you should listen to. Uh, fantastic speaking to Steve Jones there. Um, and I really, really, really enjoyed that. I hope you did too. That's the whole point of these things, that you enjoy them. If you get a bit of information from them, that's cool too. But if it helps you pass the time of day or a long journey in between gigs or whatever it may be, that's cool too. As always, um, you can catch us on all the social media and what have you, but I've launched a Discord channel at the Spoken Metal Show that you can join, which is a really good way of getting the audio clips to me and a really good way of uh, suggesting albums I should be listening to, bands I should be listening to, uh, things I should be doing on the show as well. And your feedback is absolutely invaluable to me. It's really, really useful. It's a great way of building the show and getting it where uh, it needs to be. So thanks again for listening, and I will see you on the show.